Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's sit down. And I'm reading to you from the book of John chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, open it to John chapter 2. And this was a time when Jesus was baptized and he had chosen his disciples. And um, Jesus and his friends were out here the next day. Verses 1, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. So Jesus and his friends had congregated here. They had all been invited to this wedding feast. And they had all, along with the other participants of the wedding, you got to understand that Jewish weddings was a one-week fiesta of fun and frolic. Okay, a one-week fiesta of whining and dancing and celebration. And here it was the whole community, the whole village practically, that was invited to come out here to celebrate. To celebrate the beginning of a new family, the bride and a groom. And Jesus was out here at this celebration, the great celebration, along with Jesus' mother. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. However, tragedy stuck. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. Can you say that with me? The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So here we find that halfway onto the feast, the, the wine ran out. And it was basically a time of anxiety and a time of worry. Because people had taken leave from their jobs. People had traveled for long distances. And they had come here to partake of this wedding feast. And we find that halfway through, you know, it's like the music had been turned off. Okay, there was no power. The power had been exhausted. And people were looking at one another. And this was one of the greatest insults. This family had reached a stage of crisis. Have you ever reached a stage of crisis in your life? Have you reached a stage where, you know, everything is going fine for you and then somehow, somewhere, bad news comes knocking at your door? And this bad news that comes knocking at your door takes you by surprise. You have your plans, you have already made, your, um, made up your mind to do certain things, but suddenly there's a foot in the door and you just can't get out from there. And this family was in this situation. They were all looking at one another. They did not know what to do. And there was chaos and there was pandemonium. But we find here that as the supply ran out, Jesus' mother came to him and said, they have no more wine. I don't know what Mary's role was in this wedding. Some Bible scholars, some Bible scholars say that in all probability, this was uh, the wedding of Jesus' cousin, John. That's what they say. I, I don't know, and you don't need to quote me on this, but they say that Mary was a part of the organizing committee. Mary was very involved in the festivities. Like many of you have been involved in setting up this hall. You all were a part of the setting up the festivities to celebrate Jesus, to celebrate his word. Mary was a part of that. And here, news, Mary, maybe through her observation, realized that there was lack, that there was a shortage, or maybe somebody would have told her, Mary, you know what? They've run out of wine. So Mary comes to Jesus and says, they have no wine. And here we say Jesus saying, dear woman, 
That's not our problem. My time has not yet come. Dear woman, that is not our problem. My time has not yet come. And when you look at that, many people think that, you know, sometimes Jesus by saying, calling his mother woman was trying to be, uh, what do you say, uh, uh, arrogant or was trying to be rude to his mother. But I don't believe that because for the one who wrote the commandment, honor your father and your mother so that it may go well with you all the days of your life, no way would Jesus disrespect Mary, right? So he says, Woman, it's not our problem. And can you imagine a situation when you are praying to Jesus, Jesus tells you, that's your problem, you handle it. Have you told problem, you manage it, don't get me involved, it's not my problem, okay, I've got other things to do, you know, I've got my own work cut out for me, I'm loaded with my own tasks and assignments, and I've got problems of my own, what has it got to do with me? But what Jesus actually meant out here when he said woman was uh, a tone down of the language that has come down from hundreds and thousands of years. For example, when I was growing up, you know, I used to sing and dance on the road and, you know, the song, I'm, people used to ask me, how are you doing? I say, I'm happy and I'm gay, you know. But today, if I go around saying I'm happy and I'm gay, people might, will obviously look at it from a wrong context. So, the language has been distilled. The language has changed over the years, right? But woman was a form of great respect and reverence. As a matter of fact, Jesus, in his dying breath on the cross, how did he refer to Mary? Woman, behold your son. When he was handing over uh, his mother to John, and he was directing Mary to now go under John's uh, coverage as John as a son and John as uh, Mary as John's mother. So we find that the language has been distilled and diluted over the years. And Jesus says, it's not my problem. And for a while I was wondering, you know, like, what did Jesus mean by this? And friends, this is the crux of today's session. It's important that you get this one line. It's critical, okay? My time has not yet come. Jesus recognized that even though he was invited to this wedding, even though he was invited to this feast, even though he was invited to this family, the family, the people never acknowledged him. You could be born a Christian. Okay, you could go all your life through all the, all the tier, the, the tieristics of services, of mass, of praise, of worship, etc. But you can still miss Jesus. Amen? They missed Jesus even though he was sitting out there. It was like, they invited me here, but they do not acknowledge me. They have not yet recognized in me that I am the Messiah. My time has not yet come. You know what? Jesus could not do any miracles during his walk on this earth when there was this level and layer of unbelief. When people lacked faith, he just could not do a thing. God is dependent for you to rely on your faith. For God to move, there is a dependency on your belief. There is a dependency on your faith. And how does faith come? Faith comes from hearing and hearing God's word. Amen? And that's why you're here. And I pray that as you will walk out from here with a revelation 
with an acknowledgement, with a recognition of who this Lord and who this Savior Jesus Christ is. Y'all will walk out from here knowing for sure that you know that you can recognize Him. And many of you might ask me, how can we recognize Jesus? He is not here. Thomas had the same problem. Thomas said, "Lord, uh, 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 Lord, how can we believe? Lord, uh, how uh, reveal to us? Give us a revelation." And Jesus says something so beautifully. He says, "You know what? If you let's go back to John chapter fourteen uh, for a while." John chapter fourteen, verses three. Let's back up for the first verse. 14 verses 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am going and you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said, no. We do not know the way. We do not know where you are going, Lord. We have no idea where you are going. So, how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am, I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. So we find, so we find here that, uh, that the people at Cana of Galilee could not recognize Jesus. And they had the same problem with Thomas. But Thomas's problem was slightly different because he had been with Jesus. He had walked with Jesus and still he had a problem trying to identify his position in Christ. Trying to recognize who he is in Christ. And Jesus says, if you have seen me, you would see the Father. And Philip said, Lord, show us. Um, show us. Philip said now, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip? Thomas was there, Philip was there, the disciples are there, and yet you still don't know who I am. So people here at the, the wedding feast of Cana of Galilee, they would have known Jesus. They were all in the same village. Jesus was now about 30 years of age. So he would have grown up with a lot of those people. And we know that Jesus had miraculous capabilities. From the time of his birth, there were signs, there were miracles that were taking place all along. And I know that this is not in the Bible, but uh, I just want you to, there's, there's no, uh, what do you say, recollection in the Bible about Jesus' uh, growing up ages, right? We hear a little about him when we, at his infancy state. We hear a little about him when he was two, three years old, then fast forward 12 years old, then fast forward to now 30 years old, right? So 30 years he was in this village. And while he was a part of this village, I'm sure there have been some awesome things, you know, happening. 
For example, all of them, I'm just, now this is not in the Bible, so don't say I'm starting off a new doctrine and stuff like that. I thank God Willie's recording this so that no one will misquote me. So, but let's just say that you know, it's summer and, you know, those are hot desert areas. Uh, so Jesus was out there, you know, um, out on the beach, right? And all his friends and cousins are all playing on the beach. And, you know, suddenly Jesus, he just gets up, you know, his shorts, his beach shorts. And he just steps out and he's walking on the water. And all his other friends are, you know, playing and frolicking and, you know, in the water, etc. And Mary says, Jesus, stop it now. Come down. You are not supposed to be walking on the water, you know. Suppose they were having swimming races, okay, swimming races, and uh, everyone's saying, okay, on your mark, get set, go. And they're all swimming, splashing all Jesus' friends, Jesus' cousins. And suddenly Jesus gets up and he's just walking, you know. And all those guys are swimming behind them and Mary's saying, Jesus, that's not the way you do it, you know. Don't take uh, advantage of uh, of your miraculous capabilities. Or suppose it was like, Jesus, Mary's, you know, getting dinner ready. And um, uh, Mary says, you know what, like most mothers fondly do, suddenly realize there's no bread. And uh, Jesus is saying, Mom, i got a test tomorrow, Ma, and you're sending me now to the bakery to go and get bread. Uh, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, I've got work to do. I've got um, algebra. So uh, so uh, Mary is saying, but Jesus, there's no bread and we got to have dinner. Your dad Joseph will be coming in from the carpentry shop and he'll be hungry. What do we do? There's no bread. And Jesus is like, you know, okay, Mom, just go to the bread basket and have a peep. And what do you think is there? Bread is there, you know. So, I mean, we could think that Jesus, you know, there were so many times in Jesus' life wherein uh, he would have just executed and performed some fantastic uh, miracles. And that's why Mary recognized Jesus' capabilities. Mary recognized Jesus' potential because Mary was the mother of Christ. And Mary had seen, even as he was growing up, you know, uh, maybe one day Mary said, you know what, uh, Jesus, uh, I've got some body pain and, you know, I'm just feeling a little bit off color. I got a headache. Uh, No problem, mom, uh, get up and walk, you know. That's it, like no medication, no doctor, you know. So it it was amazing. I always keep trying to figure out this... um, this uh, relationship that Jesus had growing up. And we know that his father, you know, ha- was in the carpentry business and uh, maybe there was a, 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 a chariot that needed to be made. And Joseph was, oh man, the deadline is, you know, next week and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 50% there. I don't think I'll be able to deliver this project on time. And there was panic, like many of us at work, right? We have projects, we have deadlines, we have reports to go, and suddenly you realize, oh man, you know, there's so many other priorities that's come my way, and uh, I'm consumed with doing all that work I've just forgotten. Or I'm just overwhelmed with so much of work pressures that this report I cannot submit on time. Or I cannot bring in this coding on time. I cannot complete this programming on time. I cannot complete this project on time. What do I do? And it's like, you know, Joseph said, Dad, don't worry, you know, just take a walk into uh, the carpentry shop and have a look. And Joseph goes there and he sees, you know, a sparkling new chariot with wheels and everything all ready to be delivered because of the miraculous capabilities of Jesus. Hallelujah. And this miraculous capability was recognized by Mary. Mary understood this, right? And it's important for us to understand that we are in a position like Mary. Amen. We are in a position like Mary because we have a revelation of God's word, of the fantastic things that Jesus has done, has been recorded. As a matter of fact, John goes on to say in the last chapter, the last verse, he says, 
I mean, there's just no place. There's no space to record all the great miraculous things that Jesus was uh, Jesus had done. As a matter of fact, the libraries, the books will just not be able to hold all the records of the great signs and wonders and miracles that Jesus has done. And but we know we are blessed because we have God's word. But the people out there at Cana of Galilee missed the bus. And today, unfortunately, there are many people out here who miss the bus. Many of us today still have a hard time recognizing Jesus. It's all about, you know, uh, formats. It's all about formulas. It's all about processes. It's all about religion. But there's no relationship. Mary had a relationship with Christ. And that's why she could boldly go up to Christ and say, they have no more wine. She can go up with confidence to Christ and say, they have no more wine. Because she knew Jesus. Amen? Do you know Jesus? So we are, we, are, we, are, we are seeing that there's a tough contest of words going on between Thomas and Philip and you know, we don't know who you are and you know, we don't know where you're going and uh, a, a lot of confusion that's out there. But Jesus goes on beautifully if you continue reading. Je- Jesus goes on beautifully verses chapter 14 verses 15. He says, If you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey, obey my commandments. So he says, um, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. Now, Mary says something very, very important. The moment Jesus says, my time has not yet come, Mary does not even acknowledge what Jesus is saying. Mary just turns to the steward and says, just do as he tells you to do. Amen? And I believe that's where the revelation is, friends. Do as he tells you to do. Now, Where does he tell us to do? Where is it recorded? Where does he tell us to do? Where is it recorded? Where is it recorded? In the Bible. Jesus is revealed through his word. And that's why his word supersedes everything else. The more we are in the word of God, the more a revelation of Christ flows into us. And then with utmost confidence, we can step up. And he says, whatever you ask in my name, it's because we know the power of his name. We know the character of his name. We know everything that he said he will do, will do. Because Our confidence is in his promises. Amen. Our confidence is in his faithfulness. Not in our abilities. The people out here at Cana of Galilee had no hope. They could not go and get wine reproduced in such a short span of time. It was a hopeless situation. There was absolutely no solution here. And Jesus stepped onto the scene. 
And Mary said, just do it. Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. And that's why it's important, friends, for us to deep dive more and more and more into God's word. Because the more we get into God's word, the more of Christ will be revealed to us. Amen? The more revelation of Christ, the more we will know about Jesus. So some of you sitting here might have a hard time. You have a wishy-washy image of Jesus. Maybe you're, you're, you're looking for more clarity. You're looking for more truth. You're looking for more revelation. It's very simple. It's out here in the word. And Jesus says, if you obey me, if you obey my commandments, he will reveal the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the revealer. The Holy Spirit reveals more and more of the deep nuances of God because the Holy Spirit is God. He is with God. He was there from the beginning of time. The Holy Spirit is here with us right now. And the Holy Spirit will continue to be with us in the days for all into eternity. Amen. So he says, I am sending you the Holy Spirit. So here we have Jesus who is the word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And Jesus is saying, I am going, guys, but I am sending you someone. I'm sending you a counselor. I'm sending you a teacher. I'm sending you an advocate. And he will reveal more and more of me to you. He will reveal more and more of my glory to you. He will reveal more and more of the plans, for the, of the purposes that I have for you. And sometimes in life it's difficult for us, at least it's difficult for me, to understand what is God's plan, what is God's purpose. What is God's will for my life? But when I pray and I say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me what is God's will in this situation. Holy Spirit, reveal to me what is God's purpose in this situation. The Holy Spirit does so. Because he is the revealer of truth. He reveals the heart of the Father. He reveals the will of God the Father. So in my office, out there, there's multi-million dollar projects that I'm involved in. And I don't know all the answers. And at times, you know, I'm stuck with a question that's thrown at me and I just don't have the answer. And when these questions come to me, it's like, you know, uh, I need to find solutions because the buck ends with me. The buck stops here, right? I can't go to anyone else. So I go to the Holy Spirit, meaning I can't go to anyone else in the company. But I've got another company in me. And he is the Holy Spirit. And I, when I go to him and I say, Holy Spirit, show me, reveal to me. A few things happen. The first is, I unload my burdens onto him. I release my tension onto him. I release my ignorance onto him. That's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is, there is a revelation of his presence. His presence is there with me. And I know, because the third thing is, I find a lot of peace. Immediately, as I offload my burden of these anxious thoughts, will I be able to respond properly? Will I be able to bring this project within budget? Will I be able to bring this project within, within these timelines? There's a confidence, because my firm faith and belief is that God is a faithful God. He says, you call unto me. And I will answer you. Not I may answer you or might answer you. Call unto me. I will answer you. It's a will. It's a 100% guarantee. And my confidence is in these guarantees out here. There are many promises of God. Some promises are covenant promises. 
Okay, what are some of the covenant promises? One of the covenant promises is Jesus, when he took the wine, he offered it up, he gave it thanks, he blessed it. And he says, this is my blood. The blood that will be shed for you and for all mankind. Okay, that was the new, for the forgiveness of sins. And that is the new covenant. The new and everlasting covenant. That will never change. That's a covenant promise. Another promise is in the Old Testament when, uh, when uh, God virtually destroyed, wiped out the earth with the flood. God made a promise through Noah and the rainbow. And he says, I will never ever repeat this. And I will never ever destroy the earth with a flood, with water. That's a covenant promise. Another covenant promise is a very simple but powerful one is, Jesus says, do not be anxious. Verses 14, verses, verses 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. So do not be worried. Do not be anxious. So immediately when I, when I unburden myself onto the Lord, there's this peace, there's this confidence that comes. The confidence in his covenant promises. But there are some promises that are also conditional promises. Right? This, for example, in Deuteronomy, we read about blessings. If you do all these, 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 these things, you will be blessed. Amen? And if you do not do, do, do these, these things, you will be cursed. Amen? Those are promises that are conditional promises. Another conditional promise, a very simple but powerful one is, if you believe, you will? If you believe, you will? So the, what is the condition? It's belief. So it's, it's, it's a conditional promise. But here, with the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, I am sending you the counselor. And now we know that the counselor is here. That we, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That we are living, walking, talking vessels of the Holy Spirit. So when I offer up my anxieties, my trials, my tribulations, when you offer up your family trials, when you offer up your debts, when you offer up your financial problems, when you offer up various tensions and troubles that, and tribulations that you are facing, your health issues, whatever it is, there is an underlying confidence that comes. And with that underlying confidence, the next thing that happens is you receive strength. You receive power and you are able to recognize in yourself that you are a conqueror. That you are not a victim in this situation. That you are a victor. Amen? So we find that when we submit to the Holy Spirit, that these, these things flow. And therefore, when I get this revelation that, you know, God, you are my strength. When I look to the mountains, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord God Almighty. I keep confessing promises I keep confessing God's word through all these situations, through these trials, through these tribulations. The confession is all, always happening. And the confession is also audible. Right? I thank God also for technology now where you just have your earphones in and now it's even wireless uh, uh, earphones, etc. So even if you're talking to yourself, it's not like you look mad, you look crazy. Okay, because many people are doing it. They're talking to friends through, you know, their mobile devices, etc. And so many a time when you're audibly praying, right, you don't have to feel, you know, self, self-conscious that, oh, what will people think of me, etc. Because, you know, we take advantage of the technologies that are at our disposal and we use that. Because when we are confessing God's word audibly, 
the Bible says that faith comes from hearing and hearing God's word. So what's happening is there is a cycling process that's taking, taking place. You are speaking God's word and your ears are picking it up. And the seed is going into your heart. And the fruit that's coming out is confidence. The fruit that's coming out is faith. The fruit that's coming out is victory. The fruit that's coming out is that you are more than a conqueror. Amen? And that's, that's, that's a process, friends, for you to follow. That's a simple formula for you to follow. When you are confronted with various trials and tribulations at any level in life. So we find here that Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. Mary got these words pretty early. And so when she goes to Jesus, while everyone else was troubled in the wedding party, she has that confidence himself. She in her, uh, confidence in her son. She has that confidence in his abilities. And friends, that's what gives us an edge over others in this world. We don't have to be like headless chicken, you know, when there's a problem, running around crazy, quack, 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 you know, you're, you don't know where you're going, you don't know what you're doing, you're going crazy. When, what happens with this world? Especially in America, where we come from, you know, people get stressed very easy. Everything is, you know, I'm stressed. And for me, it's like, dude, you know, I'm too blessed to be stressed, you know. We recognize our blessings. We recognize the blessings that we have received. We reflect on the blessings that we have re received. We meditate on the blessings that we have received. And we are in gratitude, indebted to the blessings that we have received. And we give God praises. And it's through praising God for the blessings that we have received that no stress can, can ever come, what do you say, and mess with us. No depression can ever come and mess with us. Because our promises, uh, the promises that are in God are the promises that are now in our heart. It's the revelation of God in us. It's the revelation of Christ within us. And that is our confidence. That is our victory. That is our success. People out there in the, out there in the world could be, you know, getting psyched up with, the, the, with so many things. But I tell you, friends, that today we are living in an era of so much of peace, so much of prosperity. You look across India. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed here. When, uh, you know, maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago, it was difficult to see so many families with cars. Today you see virtually every family has a car. Every, every second person has a, a, a beautiful motorcycle. Every second person, you know, has a beautiful house. There is so much of abundance that's flowing into this land. So much abundance that's flowing, flowing across the nations. There's hardly any wars that's happening that are impacting us. Yes, there are pockets in the world that are troubled with various wars and various afflictions. But today we are living in the greatest age of peace and prosperity. Amen? So much of peace, so much of prosperity. Look at the, you know, the, the I mean, the, there was a record of the Sensex hitting, you know, some, I think, 33,000 points. I was amazed when I was looking at that uh, on the aircraft the other day. It's, it's so amazing to see the type of companies that are coming into India. I was reading in, I think, uh, yesterday's newspaper that uh, by 2027, the second largest number of billionaires will be from India. And many of you are sitting here. Don't forget me. Second largest number of billionaires will come from India. The largest number of billionaires will come from, uh, uh, from China. And many of you are also sitting here as billionaires. I know you're all looking at me, like putting your eyes down, but you know who you are. But praise God. Yeah, amen. Hallelujah. So there's so much of abundance. There's so much of peace. There's so much of prosperity that's flowing into this land. But the risk here is, as the guests 
at the wedding feast of Cana of Galilee, the recognition and the dependency on God could be diluted because of the peace and the prosperity that is reigning in our life. And that's what is happening today to, for example, what I have seen in the last two and a half years living in America. There's so much of peace. There's so much of prosperity. You know, there's so much of, uh, of abundance, the land of milk and honey. There's so much of wealth out there. I mean, I, virtually I see people, it's difficult to really be a, a beggar in the United States of America because uh, the, the land, the, the way the land has been set up, it's, it's been set up for success. But rather than praising God for the blessing, rather than praising God for the peace, praising God for the prosperity, too much of this freedom makes us reckless. And we see in the Bible time and time again that when there were seasons of peace, seasons of prosperity, what happened? What happened? People forgot God, right? I mean, and I'm seeing that today. I mean, the church is difficult, you know. There's, there's, there are some pockets in America where the churches are vibrant and, you know, there's a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of power in terms of numbers and ministries out there uh, in the church. The church being active, the church being alive. They are pockets. But on the whole, people are too busy enjoying themselves. Two people are too busy, you know, just, uh, just feasting on the fat of the land. Drinking in the glory of the land. That they have no time for God. They have no time for church. But I was there in September 11, 2001. And that was the time when America thought itself as being invincible. And I remember, I was sitting on the banks of um, the Hudson River. Just adjoining Manhattan. My apartment building was on the banks of the River Hudson. And any of you had um, watched that movie about, what's it, Captain Sully? Yeah? And it was about his uh, the, the the miracle on the Hudson. That was a Hudson that basically uh, we were uh, we we used to live next to the river. We used to see the beautiful river during winter. You know, just packed with slabs of ice. The the river used to freeze up. Then during the spring and summer, we used to see those beautiful huge cruise liners just cruising into the New York Harbor. We had such gorgeous views of uh, the Manhattan skyline from our bedroom window. It's so beautifully lit up uh, during the night and so gorgeous uh, and peaceful in the morning. We had, uh, we had a, a first-hand peek into the fact that New York never sleeps because we could always see you know, uh, uh, lights and we could always see police cars flashing lights, uh, emergency vehicles flashing lights. There was always a buzz happening out there. And our window, we just stand by our window, we can just see everything across across the across the Hudson so much of abundance and I was sitting on the same banks of the Hudson with a friend of mine he was a Hindu his name was Guru and um, we were talking uh, we used to work in the same company we were talking and he says you know what Marty no one can touch this nation and he was describing to me how Manhattan was built on one rock. Yeah, Blanca was there in Manhattan. We had a gorgeous time uh, out there in Manhattan. She loved it. She wants to get married in Manhattan. She wants to <laughs> stay in Manhattan. So if her father and mother, I'm not looking at them, are listening, you have to find a boy for her in Manhattan. 
But what a beautiful place, right? We were just blown away. We were there just for a few uh, hours uh, uh, on that day. But I used to work in Manhattan. And uh, it's a city that truly is bustling and very active and very vibrant. It's a beautiful city. It's a, it's, it's a mix of people from every nationality. When you virtually say from every tribe and every nation and every language and every tongue, you see it out there in New York, right? The type of people uh, out there, just simply brilliant. I love New York. For me, New York is the greatest city in the world after Bangalore. <laughs> so, so this friend was sitting down and he was talking to me and he says, uh, Manhattan is built on a rock. And Blanca knows that, you know, while we were in Manhattan, she was amazed. We, were, we are still amazed every time we go there to see how that city has been constructed hundreds of years ago. It's a small little strip of land, but the way... The thought, the, the type of architecture, the type of planning that has been invested in that city is mind-blowing, is awesome. And uh, we went out on the, on, the, on the subway trains, right? And even as we were out there on the subway trains, it's, you know, many, many, what do you say, stories down. 12, 13, 14, 15 stories down. Yeah, various levels of train, railway lines running under the city. Yeah, various uh, railway stations, you know, uh, uh, on, on, under the city. Everything is, you know, concealed. It's so amazingly constructed and it's so well done. And so uh, this friend told me, you know what, no one can touch America. And this was, I remember very, very clearly, this was on September 9th. We was, I went to church, and in the afternoon, I was sitting down there, beautiful weather, September weather, just enjoying the hustle and bustle, kids and people playing in the park, and everybody just enjoying life, enjoying the whole ambience. He says, Marty, no one can touch this nation. It's too great a nation. It's just Manhattan. He was describing the architecture of Manhattan, how it was just built on a rock, and you know how amazing people's thought process was, even you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And well, that day got over, and um, the next day I went into the World Trade Towers because my train always stops there. My train used to come and park there. I used to go from where I stay under the river. There was a beautiful tunnel under the river. The train used to take me into uh, the World Trade Towers. I used to stop there, get off the World Trade Towers, and go to church. The first thing in the morning was I used to go to church. Our Lady of Victory's Church. And this was Mass, which used to begin at about 8.20 in the morning and uh, used to finish at 8.40. And after that, I walked to Wall Street. I was working at Citibank, uh, Wall Street, the Big Apple, heart of Manhattan. And so um, the next day, I had some uh, insurance work. So I, I actually, every day I was at the World Trade Towers, but this time was the first time, and I never ever knew it will be the last time that I will ever go up to this 100 uh, hundredth floor, where we had AON Insurance, our insurance company, and um, we had some insurance work. So as I stepped off into the lobby, it was new. I'm talking of 2001. Now it's very common, but there was so much of security there. It was amazing that, you know, even then they had biometrics. Uh, I was able to get my ID badge and, you know, my pass access badge, the elevators, we all access control. Amazing to just see the speed, the express speed of those elevators. And for me, being a Bangalore boy, a simple Indian boy, going here and experiencing all this, I was like, my friend Guru is right, you know. It's amazing to see how this place is developed, how uh, this place is being constructed. It's, it's mind-blowing. Uh, so I finished my work, and that was Monday. The day was over. Tuesday, I was leaving my apartment. That time, Colleen, Nicole, and Nadine were back in India because I just gone to set up base 
out there to take them along. Nadine was two months old. And uh, Nicole was six years old, right? So um, they were back in India, and I was just getting ready to go to the office. And I remember a colleague of mine staying in the same apartment building. His name was Raghu. And Raghu came to me, and he said, Marty, there's some papers I just want you to carry. I'm not coming into the office. I'm going to another office. Uh, Can you just carry this in? And Raghu started explaining those documents to me. But it was like the Holy Spirit in me which said, just get going, get going, get moving. Now this was, I had to catch my train at 8.10. Because if I have to hit the uh, 8.20 mass, I, 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 that train was very important for me. Because if I miss that train, I'll not be able to go for mass. So um, I was like, Priyanka Rishrish come here, I said, Raghu, I can't talk to you now, I gotta go. I gotta go, I'll call you in the office. Just give me all the papers, you can explain. When I'm in the office, we'll chat up there. And I just brushed past him, I hit the elevator button, I think we we're on the 33rd floor, went down to my lobby, walked up to the, ran up to the railway station just five minutes from where I used to stay, jumped in the train, and uh, I was in, uh, into the World Trade Towers, from the World Trade Towers into my, uh, into church. And after church at 8.40, I come out and I see the sky was darkened and a lot of paper and debris was raining down from the sky. And for me, it was like, you know, what's happening? And um, there was a lady who was walking across the street and I asked her, can you tell me what's happening? Why, why is it so weird? You know, because I used to walk that path every day. And if you are in Manhattan, you'll recognize that uh, Manhattan is basically like you're in a well because all skyscrapers, huge skyscrapers, you know. So it's like uh, you're, you're looking up, you can't see beyond. It's like you're in a well with all concrete around you. So I, I could not see anything except for the, this raining of paper, dust and debris and soot. Uh, she said there's an aircraft that had hit the building, the World Trade Towers, and I think some 12 people had died. And I picked up a piece of paper, I looked at it, it was an airway bill, right? Uh, so it was an airway bill, so I thought, okay, maybe this is a courier aircraft. I went back into the church and I told uh, the people out there, I said that, um, you know, can you just ask them to intercede? Because intercession was going on after Mass. Can you ask them to intercede? And there's, uh, there's, uh, there's, uh, there's, uh, there's an accident and prayer is required. And I walked out from there. We Indians are very brave, right? Rather than walking away from trouble, when people say that there's trouble, we Indians like to walk towards trouble. We want to see what's happening. We are curious people. Everyone was going away from the world trade towers, but I was like a hero walking towards it, you know, with my backpack, my laptop inside my backpack, etc. And um, uh, as I was walking there, I could see the second aircraft coming in at high speeds. And I was like, what's wrong with you? You know, lift your engines, you're going to crash. You know, he's shouting out. But uh, obviously the pilot could not hear me. There's something else happening out there. And, and here I found that this aircraft had just whammed into the World Trade Towers. There was a very unique kind of an explosion. We Indians are also used to all these types of explosions, thanks to Diwali, right? There's so much of... So much of rakas, so much of havoc that happens out there. So it's like, wow, but this was, this was different. This was like balls of orange and fire just spewing from the world trade towers. And I was like, man, this is disaster. And I walked up there and you know, like by now I could not go, uh, go closer. I had to stop, but I could see these world trade towers, you know, now blazing. It's on fire. Both the buildings, were on fire. The first aircraft had hit, and now the second aircraft had hit. And there was a blazing fire that was taking place. And to my horror, I could see people jumping off the buildings. And it was so poignant simply because uh, in that city, people are like, you know, so 
like what you say, the way they dress, the way they act, the very professional bankers and you know uh, uh, ex- top executives, etc. The sense of dressing, etc., is it's just simply brilliant, amazing. I was, you know, all the time in awe of them. You know, the way they used to dress with their suits and their outfits, etc. But now, to my dismay, I could see them in helplessness throwing themselves off the building. Rather than being caught in the building and being uh, being suffocating to death or being roasted in the fire, they found that it's easier to just jump off the building. And people around me were screaming, they were crying, some people were angry, and uh, there was a mix of emotions out there. And I was just stretching my hands out there and saying, God have mercy, God have mercy. I was crying out with the divine mercy prayer and I was pleading, you know, for God's mercy over this whole situation. And then minutes after that, there was a loud, roaring kind of a sound, like many of these diesel engines, uh, many of these freight trains, just roaring, and I could see, to my dismay, that this whole building was coming down. It was like, you know, a hot, uh, a candle that was being entrusted in a hot flame. It just melted like that. The buildings came down like a flower pot. It just exploded. In seconds, those tall 102, 103 stories of concrete and, uh, and structures just came down. And as it came down, the, the impact of the volumes of construction material, carpets and tables and furniture and uh, curtains and whatever, steel and... Uh, whatever, out there, concrete, uh, just exploded all over the place. And with that impact, I was also sent sent flying. I was sent flying and, you know, I, I hit into a, a, a kind of a building after escaping. The stampede happened. People just panicked. People were just freaking out, screaming, searching, uh, screeching and crying and, you know, just pandemonium everywhere. And in the midst of all that chaos... It's so difficult to even think of God because your flesh takes over you, right? Your mind is screaming to escape. Your, your body is sometimes paralyzed with that fear. And how do you cry out to God? What do you do in a situation like that? And so I was thrown against this building because I believe very, very, very strongly that God's angels are always encamped around us. Amen. And so I was thrown against this building, maybe pushed there by an angel, I don't know. But I was now suffocating to death because of all the tons of debris, the smoke, the dust, uh, uh, that this whole tsunami of a, uh, of a building uh, destruction that I created. And I was, my lungs were bursting. My eyes were on fire. My nose and my whole breathing tract was like just being ripped apart. And it was like, you know, I was dying. I got an image of Colleen and um, Nicole and Nadine and I, 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 it was like an image. I'm never going to see them again. It is over. I'm going to be buried here. It's, I, this, I've come to New York to die. But the word of God came to me as I was in that moment of desperateness. And that was the Holy Spirit. And that's how the Holy Spirit will work, friends. On that Sunday, the 9th of September, I was in church. It was a church called the Times Square Church. Uh, and the pastor there was preaching on blind Bartimaeus. Now, blind Bartimaeus was an outcast. He was out from his family and he was sent into beggary to sit on the streets of Jericho and, and plead for arms, plead for food, plead for money. He was a beggar, begging out there. But blind Bartimaeus must have heard about Jesus somewhere down the road. Somebody might have shared Jesus to him. So he heard with his ears that Jesus, even though he could not see, he heard with his ears that Jesus was passing by. 
and he started shouting out, Jesus of Nazareth, save me. Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Jesus of Nazareth, save me. He was basically crying out the divine mercy prayer. Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. And the people around him told him, shut up. The master cannot hear you. He is busy. And you know, with Jesus, there must have been hundreds of people walking with Jesus, jostling with Jesus, because now Jesus was performing great signs and wonders, miracles, etc. So there was a following. There's a lot of friends around Jesus, a lot of followers around Jesus. His own disciples were there. And so these people said, shut up, he can't hear you. And here, the Bible says very clearly that Bartimaeus shouted all the more loudly. And so while I was out here suffocating to death, I started crying out myself. The message that was spoken on Sunday came into my heart. And the Holy Spirit was saying, call on the name of Jesus. Because all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. Will be saved. And I started calling on the name of Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Jesus of Nazareth, save me. And I remember that there was this New York police officer next to me. He was trying to break open a glass paneling, a glass wall next to me so that we can escape from this debris and the suffocation there. And he shouted at me and he says, shut the F up. No one can save us. But then the preacher on Sunday emphasized that when people told blind Bartimaeus to shut up, what did he do? He what did he do? He shouted. he shouted all the more louder. Jesus of Nazareth, I shouted all the It was like, guys, it's your dying breath, okay? So with your dying breath, you better go at least with the name of Jesus on it. Amen? Amen? Not with the name of any fear or, you know, oh, cancer or diabetes or heart or whatever. Go with the name of Jesus. And I started shouting with the name of Jesus. I don't know what happened. I don't know how long it took. But it was like ages after ages. I just found like a hand was, you know, just lifting me up from all that debris. My glasses had smashed. But apart from that, there was not a scratch on my body. Not a hair on your head will be harmed. Thousands may fall at your side. Ten thousands at your other side. But harm shall not come near you. Amen. And so I just, I mean, it was not me. I was just wandering away, you know, my, I had lost my mind. My mind, when my, my mind was shocked. I just did not know who I am. I did not know where I was going. I was like a zombie walking across. I could see cars, limousines, beautiful cars out there, which I used to admire in New York City. Just doors open, lights on, engines running, abandoned. People all scattered. I don't know whether they were dead or unconscious. I just don't know what is happening. I just wandered and wandered and wandered. I don't know how long I wandered. I don't know where I wandered. I just totally lost it. But friends, what am I trying to say? I am standing here today alive because of God's word. Because the word of God is like honey on my lips. Amen? The word of God is power on your lips. And when you are confessing God's word, when you are pronouncing God's word, and when you are calling on the name of Jesus, dimensions open, possibilities open, uh, tsunamis have to be calmed in the name of Jesus, storms have to have to stop in the name of Jesus, terrorists, guns have to get jammed in the name of Jesus, bombs have to be diffused in the name of Jesus, fires and storms, uh, floods have to go in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 
And friends, God's word came to me. It was his word crying out in the name of Jesus that I was saved. Now the world is just spiraling you know, into more and more kind of a darkness. The second of coming of Christ is imminent. Jesus is coming soon. The devil knows that his days are numbered. Yeah, but we are being taught. We are being told to do as he tells us to do. And everything that he has told us to do can be found here in the Holy Bible. And that's why it's so important for us friends to open our Bible and to meditate on it. Mary knew her Bible. Mary knew Jesus. He was the Bible. Mary knew that when she goes to Jesus, Jesus will do whatever she asks him to do. And you have that same confidence. You have that same hope that when you go to Jesus, when you obey his commandments, when you love Jesus, he says, ask of me anything on this earth and I will give it to you. He says, ask me and I will give it to you. Try me. The Bible says, try me, test me in these areas. I will give it to you. I will do it unto you. And so we find that, you know, Mary tells us towards, just do as he tells you to do. But friends, the key out here was the stewards in obeying those instructions. How obedient are we in obeying his instructions? Obedience opens doors for you. Obedience opens miracles for you. Obedience opens signs and wonders for you. Your obedience, Samuel told Saul, is greater than sacrifice. As a matter of fact, we go on to read that disobedience is equivalent to witchcraft and rebellion. God hates it. God wants us to be obedient to his word, to follow his word. And so the stewards were told to do something ridiculous. Jesus says, just fill those jars with water. Those jars were just ceremonial jars lying out there, uh, lying out there empty. And they could hold maybe 75 to you know 150, maybe 175 uh, liters of water. And here the stewards, I've heard the instruction, I've heard the command, and they are going now to fill this water. They're going to the well, bringing up one pot, filling the water. I don't know what they said. Were they murmuring? Were they grumbling? I mean, what are these people asking us to do? There's no wine. The party is finished. This family is finished. It's a shame on this whole family. It's a shame on this whole society. And now they're asking us to compensate with wine, with water. What's wrong with these guys? I mean, how cheap can we get? I don't know what would have gone through their mind. But they did it. They went, you know, to the well. They came back. They were filling it up. They went to the well, came back. They were filling up the jars. Went to the well. They were using the instruments that God had blessed them with. Water. Jars. And here they were filling it up and the, and, and the Bible says that they filled it to the brim. Amen? They filled it to the brim. Now, if they had to fill it half, how much of wine would they have got? If they had to fill it 75%, how much of wine would they have got? They filled it to the brim. Fill yourselves to the brim with God's word. Every day, listen to his word. I find... That today, again, throwing out technology there, we have absolutely no excuse. We have audio Bibles out there. We have the best of YouTube videos. We have the best of podcasts. We have the best of TV shows. The best of Christian uh, TV stations, radio stations. We have abundance flowing with us, guys. 
So there's absolutely no reason or no excuse that we can give for not hearing and preparing ourselves with God's word. Amen? Absolutely no reason. Whenever I'm driving to the office, I switch on my radio. There are multiple Christian channels. And I don't just listen to the music. As a matter of fact, I seldom listen to any praise and worship. But I'm all the time lapping up God's word. Lapping up God's word. Getting different perspectives. Getting different thoughts. Getting different ideas. Different revelations. Different teachings. Different speakers. It's amazing. Filling yourself up to the brim. Filling yourself up with God to the brim. Filling yourself up. Filling yourself up. Filling yourself up. Because when they had finished filling those jars of wine, they realized, those jars of water, they realized that that water had now turned into beautiful wine. The best. God wants to give you the best. And he will give you the best, A, first when you empty yourself, and B, when you fill yourself to the brim. Empty yourself of your doubts. Empty yourself of your anxieties, of your worries. And, I, and, and this is how you do it. You can empty yourself out of your worries. You can empty yourself out of your strife, anxieties, and fears by picking up scriptures, scripture promises in the Bible and confessing it. That's how you fill yourself up. You can fill yourself up by opening the Bible, going through various chapters or maybe books like the Psalms or the Proverbs and filling yourself up. Filling yourself up with God's word. Filling yourself up with God's word. Filling yourself up with revelation. You can fill yourself up by journaling all that you've read. You can fill yourself up by meditating on all that you're reading on all that what God is doing. You can fill yourself up by writing down the testimonies of the good things and the great things that God has done. And the good things and the great things that God has done, as you are filling yourself up, you are preparing yourself. You are preparing yourself proactively for moments of adversity. I was out there, 9-11, in New York City, prepared by God's word. I remember I used to, since the family was away from me, there was nothing for me to do in New York. I used to go for two or three services on Sundays. Sundays from the morning, I, I leave my house, I'll go into church, I, the first service is in the morning, then they used to have an afternoon service, they used to have an evening service, they used to have a night service. I'll be sitting out there in the church and enjoying, enjoying all these services, enjoy, enjoying the praise, enjoying the worship, enjoying the word, enjoying the fellowship, filling myself up, filling myself up, filling myself up. So when the devil tried to throw that bomb at me, when the devil tried to throw that adversity of me, I was able to rise up from the rubble. I I was able to rise up from the debris because of God's word that pulled me out. Amen? So these are ways in which you can get rid of your worries, get rid of your anxieties, get rid of your failures by going back and meditating upon the promises of God. There's a great story, and before I just call Colleen to share, uh, there's, uh, there's a great story in the Bible of uh, King David. And here King David was um, in one of the most darkest, loneliest, desolate areas of his life. He was running from the prophecy that has been spoken over his life. He was running from, uh, from King Saul. And here we find David had been prophesied by Samuel to be the king of Israel. Right? But King Saul, who was the current king, was jealous of David. And he set out an edict to have David killed. And David was hiding from King Saul. To make matters worse, David had joined the enemies of Israel and he was riding with them. 
He was riding with the Philistines, with King Ashish and the Philistines. And thank God that he did not put Israel to the sword because the Philistines themselves, God worked so remarkably and said, came to uh, the, 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 the kings, the princes of the Philistines and said, we got David out there. David is a Hebrew, an Israelite. If we go into battle with him, what if he turns against us? So rather than that happening, let's send him home. Let's push him out from here. Okay? Let's send him back. And so Ashish came and said, David, you're a great warrior. You've shown your loyalty. But sorry, you cannot join us on the job. You've got to go back home. And so David, you know, goes back home. And they, they, he's sitting with his, you know, uh, band of maybe 700 odd warriors. Does not know what to do, etc. And word comes to him. That, you know, um, by the time he goes back, word comes to him that his whole village, his whole family, uh, also the men, the men's women, their children, everyone has been taken captive by another enemy. And it was a dark moment in David's history. The people started cursing him. The people started uh, accusing him. The people wanted to stone him. The people wanted to kill him. Now, not only did Saul want to kill him, but now his own friends, his own family, his own men had turned against David. A terrible place to be. You might have been in that, or may, might be going through that same situation where you have family against you, you have friends against you. Everyone in the world seems to be against you. But what did David do? This is the key, friends. David, the Bible says, took refuge in the Lord. That means David went before the Lord. And when he went before the Lord, I believe that David brought to mind all the past victories the victory over Goliath, the victory over the bear, the victory over the lion. The victories in the wilderness. The Psalms that David had written for the Lord. All that was brought to mind. I think David was just enjoying, enjoying, enjoying the presence of the Lord. You see, David had two options. One option was to listen to the negative criticism of his own people or to tune his heart into the channel that God was speaking to him through. Right? So, it's important that you switch off the negative talk. That you switch off all the negativity that keeps flowing from your office, from your family, etc. And go with an attitude of gratitude. Just reminiscing. Just clinging on to the beautiful memories of the beautiful things that God has done. With an attitude of gratitude. And that attitude will determine your altitude. That attitude will pull you out of the pit and take you into the palace. That attitude was demonstrated by David. He just went in there thanking God, praising God for all the past miracles, for all the past victories. Thank you. Thank you, God, for all that you have done for me. Thank you, God, for all the battles that you have won for me. God, everyone has let me down. I'm in the lowest point of my life. But God, with you, I'm not a minority. I am a majority. God, with you, I am no longer alone. I, I am victorious. God, with you, I am not a victim. I am a victor. Friends, with God, you are victorious. You are not a victim. You are a victor. victor. With God, you are more powerful than all, all the enemies and all the demons that come up against you. But you've got to shift your focus from your trials, from the lack of wine at the party. You've got to focus onto the solution, which is Jesus. And when Jesus says, woman, my time has not yet come, it was like these people... I am present here in the wedding. I am here in dancing and enjoying and moving around and fellowshipping. But people don't know me. People don't acknowledge me. People don't recognize me. But one person did. And that was Mary. And you are that person today. 
who recognizes Jesus because you have the benefit Saturday after Saturday the JCILM team come here faithfully to set up so that they can they can they can shower upon you the praises of the king they can usher you into gorgeous worship into worshiping of the king uh, dr lena is a fantastic teacher she spends times in preparation there are many other uh, people out here who come in and teach what is all this for it's for you to prepare yourself because jesus does not promise us promise us that there will not be trials and not be tribulations and not be sorrows and not be issues he says do not worry do not fear you will face many issues you will face many trials many tribulations but he says don't worry i overcome all that and through me and with me you are also an overcomer hallelujah so with christ we are overcomers and david knew that while he was just meditating on god's goodness on god's faithfulness he found his refuge he found his strength he found his power can we all stand for a few moments i just want to pray with you if you are going through any anxieties any fears any spirit of abandonment spirit of uncertainty surrender it before the lord right now offload it jesus says come to me all of you who are weary who are burdened who are tired come to me come to me i will give you rest at the feast of cana of galilee at that feast people were so busy partying so busy having fun they could not recognize the messiah in their midst what a tragedy what a tragedy we could be going through all the nuances of church from morning to night we could be the pillars of the church we could be praise and worship leaders we could be teachers we could be altar boys we could be sacristans we could be deacons but we can still miss the bus as a matter of fact in the bible in the book of samuel we find that we have little samuel out there his mother hannah had dedicated him to the temple and we find that samuel was lying down at night he was lying down and the priest eli was lying down in the other room and they were asleep and there was a voice that came out samuel samuel and samuel heard that voice he got up and he was like who are you who who's calling me now remember samuel was dedicated from a young age to the temple he grew up in the temple he used to put the altar cloth he used to light the candles he used to put all the chairs in the jclm meeting he used to sweep up he used to clean up he used to put up the speakers he used to plug in all the cables he was very active in the temple he was born and brought up in the temple guys but when god's voice called out to him he could not recognize who was calling out to him he could not recognize the voice of the lord he could not recognize the voice of god he was so filled with his works he was so filled with his duties do you consider going to church a duty do you consider going to church a work and god called him again samuel samuel and he went to eli he asked eli two or three times has happened who is calling me who is calling me and eli says eli got it because it was very rare in those days to hear the voice of god and Eli gave him instructions and said speak lord your servant is listening and the rest is history samuel went on to be the greatest priest one of the greatest priests in the history of israel he anointed two kings he anointed king saul he anointed king david but he never recognized the voice of god he was in church day in and day out he was in prayer meetings he was in retreats 
Friends, you could be in prayer meetings, you could be in retreats. But when you go back home, you could act worse than the devil. Fighting, criticizing, condemning, gossiping. God wants you to hear his voice today. This is it. He wants you to recognize his voice. Nobody at the feast of Cana of Galilee could recognize Jesus. They never acknowledged him. But he was in their midst. Jesus is here in your midst. Do you recognize him? Do you acknowledge him as your Lord, as your God, as your Savior? Do you acknowledge him as the center? As we just sang that song in praise and worship, as the center of everything. Or is it just another song for you? What are you confused about with regard to Jesus? He says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you crisp, clear, crystal clear revelation. Crystal clear revelation. The Holy Spirit will give you about the Savior. So friends, what is it? Ask the Lord today to reveal himself to you through his word. Take on a promise. A. That you will, as per Proverbs chapter 3, acknowledge the Lord in all that you do. In all your ways. You will not lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways you will acknowledge him. And you will allow him to direct your path. Jesus directed the path of the stewards. And he says, fill these jars to the brim. And they did so. And the whole feast at Cana of Galilee changed from discouragement to despondency into again feasting and celebration. Because Jesus had saved a family. Isn't it amazing that the first miracle, the first sign of Jesus was to save a couple, to save a marriage, to save a family. Is your marriage in trouble? Are there troubles in your family? Are there financial issues? Are there health issues that are tying you down as your wine ran out? Have you lost the joy of living? Are you just going through the motions? I tell you friends, I am 50 years old. But I tell you, life is awesome. It's beautiful. It's great. It's bubbling wine. It's joy. Wine re resembles excitement. Wine resembles enthusiasm. Wine resembles joy. Do you have that enthusiasm for the Lord? Do you have the joy for the Lord? Do you have that zeal, that fire for the Lord? Oh, where is your fire? Is your fire burning? Is your fire going out? Are you confused? Are you just stirring up the ashes and saying, Oh, you know what? I wish I was here. I wish I was there with the Lord. I wish I was doing this. I wish. Turn, forget about the wishing. And now get into the asking. Get into the declaring. Declare what you wish. Declare what you want. Jesus is listening. Jesus is here. Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. The Bible says, that they were all amazed at this transformation of water into wine. His disciples were amazed. The people were amazed. And I declare that people will be amazed because God will leave you amazed. God will is pouring out His extravagance upon you. I declare that He is pouring out His graciousness upon you. 
I declare that he is pouring upon you his spirit. His spirit that will enable you to conquer every situation in your life. To conquer every battle in your life. To make you more and more victorious. But there are these five keys that you need to keep in mind. These five keys. The first key is to invite Jesus into every situation of your life. To invite Jesus into every circumstance into your life. To invite Jesus to acknowledge him into every area of your life. The first key. In the wedding feast of Cana of Galilee, Jesus was invited to the wedding. And then his mother invited him to intervene in a crisis. Invite Jesus into every area of your life. So the first key is invitation. The second is intercession. You are called to be an intercessor. Mary interceded on behalf of the wedding party to Jesus. You are called to intercede. The second point is intercession. The first point is invitation. Invite Jesus into your office, into your business decisions, into your career. The second is intercede for people who are in worse off situations than you. Suppose you are praying for your spouse. Pray for people in marriages across the world. If you are praying for your children, pray for children across the world. Not only for your children. If you are praying for finances, pray for financial blessings upon people in your family, in your ministry, in, uh, in, in uh, people who you know are going through difficult moments. Intercede. You are called to be an intercessory warrior, a prayer warrior. The third point is follow his instructions. Jesus will give you instructions and those instructions are in the Bible. Amen. All his commands are in the Bible. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Meaning you will obey my instructions. So the first key is invitation. The second key is intercession. The third is instruction. Follow his instructions. The fourth is whatever instruments you have, keyboard, guitar, whatever instruments you have, finances, give it up to the Lord. Offer it up to the Lord. Whatever instruments you have. Jesus, when he was out there preaching to the multitudes, a little boy came to him with just a few instruments, a few loaves of bread, a few fish, and Jesus multiplied it. Today, when I was coming here in the auto rickshaw, the auto driver had, the Lord spoke to me through the auto driver, he had a message that says, bring your tithes to the Lord. Whatever instruments, your money, use it for the Lord. Your time, like all these youngsters at JCLM have done yesterday, you will see God rewarding them supernaturally for all the efforts that you put into building his kingdom here on earth. Remember, when you work for the Lord, it is never forgotten. It is never in vain. What you do for the Lord in private, he will reward you in public. You will be honored. You will be lifted up. And the glory and the uplifter of your head will be there before you, giving you recognition in your office, giving you recognition in your family. You are not a nobody. You are his body because he is in your body and you are more powerful than all the uh, all of Satan's enemies than all of Satan's uh, tactics. 
So use whatever instruments that he has given your talents, your skills for his glory. So the first key is invitation. Invite Jesus into all situations. The second key is be a great intercessor. Be a humble intercessor. Be a sincere intercessor. Interceding for the needs of the world. The, four, the third key is instructions. Always reading his word, following the instructions that he has set out before you. The, David, uh, Joshua says in Joshua chapter 1, uh, God tells Joshua, Joshua, everywhere you set your foot, I give you that land. I give you that victory. But meditate on my word day and night so that it will make you successful so that you will be prosperous in every area of your life. And the, the, the last point is be an instrument, be an inspiration. Jesus was an inspiration. He was an inspiration and all were inspired by this great turnaround. And God has called you to be an inspiration. God has not called you to be desolate. God has not called you to be discouraged. Because when people see your inspiring work, when people see your inspiring attitude, your smiling face, your kind heart, your generous abilities, they will know that the Lord thy God is with you. And those are your fruits. So be an inspiration wherever he has planted you. And God will continue to multiply you. God will continue to grow you. So I'm repeating. The first key is invitation. Invite the Lord into all areas of your life. The second key is intercession. Be a great intercessor. An intercessor crying out for the needs of the world. Standing in the gap. I'll share a little bit more this afternoon. The third is instructions following his word. The, the fourth is being an instrument of his praise. An instrument, instrument of his worship. An instrument of his hand. To be a blessing to all whom he has put in your path. And to also finally be an inspiration in whatever you do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen.